Pastor Brady has reminded us on Tuesday, sometime after that, maybe not Tuesday night, but before January, we will learn who our president is. Whether Donald Trump has another term, whether Joe Biden his first term as president of the United States. I shared that last time we had an election, four years ago, and I said it's going to be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and most people probably at that time wanted a third or fourth or fifth choice. And maybe you feel the same this way, but it's certain we will have a president of the United States who will, as we often say, be the leader of the free world. Also this week, Amy Bear was confirmed to the Supreme Court, and so now we have another justice, we have another judge. And as I thought about the fact we're going to elect a leader, the fact that a judge has been seated, this passage this morning reminds us that there's only one king that rules the universe. There's only one judge who judges everyone, and that is Jesus Christ. As our world is in chaos at times and in turmoil, and we're up in arms about who our leaders are, let us always remember there's one Lord of Lords and King of Kings, one judge, and that's Jesus. And we learned that today in Matthew chapter 25. Before we get to the passage this morning, I want to remind you where we have been the last few weeks. We have been looking at what is going to happen the signs of Jesus' coming. Jesus told this to his disciples and to us in Matthew 24. He said, first of all, there's going to be war and there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be chaos. But he says, that's not the end. That's the birth pains. Those things are part of living in a sinful world. Then the, tri- then the uh, rapture comes, which Jesus didn't talk about because it was a mystery not revealed until the apostle Paul revealed it to us. That really the next thing that we're waiting for is for Jesus to come in the air, for us who are alive at the time to meet him in the air, and all the Christians who have died before us to be resurrected and meet the Lord in the air. Jesus did talk about in Matthew 24 a time of tribulation, of distress, and about a part of that that is a great distress that, in fact, if God did not intervene, the human race would be extinct. So there's going to be a time when it will be the worst it has ever been on this planet, and so bad that the world population would go to zero. But the Lord comes back. And in coming back, he told us what it will look like, but he told us when, no one knows the day or the hour. So then Jesus told parables about what we're supposed to do in the meantime. He told us what's going to happen, but he said the when you don't know. So if you know what's going to happen, but you don't know when it's going to happen, then you have a time of waiting for it to happen. In that time of waiting, Jesus says in parables to be ready, to be prepared, to wait with expectation. And so that's why there's the parable of the fig tree, the days of Noah, the two people working together, and the parable of the thief in the night. Jesus also says, as you're waiting, be faithful. Be busy with God's work. Use your gifts and your talents. Be faithful as a servant because you don't know when I'm coming back. Today is the last part of Jesus' teaching about what is going to happen and what we are supposed to do as we wait. And so this is about a judgment 
that comes right before Jesus rules on this earth for a thousand years. And this is the last part of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25. And this is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't care for me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When is this judgment? As I said earlier, It should be pretty obvious. I'll get to that in a moment. This is the sheep and the goats judgment. And so there are sheep on the right and goats on the left. But it's interesting. It's not a shepherd that is separating them, is it? It says the king separated them. So it's almost a mixed metaphor. The idea of separating sheep from goats is a shepherding image. But the idea of a king on a throne judging is a different kind of image. But Jesus puts these two together. In fact, this in a sense really isn't a parable in the traditional sense where there is a story and there's different parts of that story that tell us what's represented in reality. This is really a passage that tells us what is going to happen in the future. And it's very obvious that the sheep and the goats represent people. They're not animals. And so this is more of a Jesus telling us this is going to happen versus Jesus telling us a parable. When this happens is when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. So this judgment is when He comes back right before He rules this earth for a thousand years. Now some Christians believe there's just a general resurrection And there's just one future judgment. But I believe the Bible teaches there are different 
times that people are resurrected. There's different types of judgments. And so this may be hard to see, but I want to explain to you how it shows there are at least three different judgments. See, we who are Christians now, we're not going to be at the sheep and goats judgment. We're not going to be at the great white throne judgment that Revelation talks about. We're going to be at the Bema Seat of Christ judgment. You see, we will be translated if we're alive. We'll be resurrected if we are dead when Jesus comes in the air for the rapture. And some point between then and when he comes back to this earth, he is going to judge us. He is going to judge our works. Paul describes this in Corinthians. He says our works and he uses this metaphor, are going to be piled up and a match is going to be thrown on it and there's going to be a fire. If our works are worthless, they're going to all burn up and there's just going to be a bunch of smoke. If our works are worthy, they're going to be purified like precious gold or silver. And so Paul warns us that when we do good works, they should be done in a worthy way. In other words, done with the motive of love. That's the only motivation for serving God and serving others is love for them, love for God. Sometimes we serve and do good works for pride. We do it for a pat on the back. We do it for applause. We do it for money. Those good works will bless people, but we won't receive a reward from them. They'll just go up and smoke. Paul says even some Christians... Basically, all their works are going to go up in smoke. They'll be saved. They'll be in heaven. But their reward will be small or next to nothing. While other Christians will have a great reward. Because they've served the Lord faithfully, motivated by love. That's the judgment in which we will be judged. The judgment here in Matthew 25 is a judgment at the end of the tribulation before the kingdom on this earth where God is judging those who are alive at the time that he's here on this earth. There's also going to be a future uh, judgment. In the book of Revelation, there's a great white throne judgment where all the unsaved of all time are resurrected and they stand before God. And the book of life is opened. And their names will be searched for in the book of life, but they won't be found. Every single person at that judgment is thrown into the lake of fire. Because it's a judgment of the unsaved. The book of life, no name. The book of their sins is brought out and they're condemned. They did not believe in Jesus, so their sins are not forgiven or paid for and they go to hell. We're not at that judgment either. So you see there's different judgments. And I think it's best for us to understand where we are and where these judgments are when we read about them in Scripture. So here we find that the people who are judged are all the nations. Some people believe that because nations can be translated as Gentiles, that these are only Gentiles that are judged here and the Jews aren't. I think it's just a reference to all of the people who are alive when Jesus returns. Remember, he will come. There will be enemies against him who will fight him. He will defeat those enemies and he will be on this earth And he is then ready to begin his kingdom on this earth. A rule for a thousand years. And at the beginning of that kingdom, there are only believers. And that's why we have this judgment. 
If someone is not a believer, they will not be in his kingdom. But all the people on the earth who are believers will enter his kingdom. We will have already been resurrected or translated to heaven. So in some way, we will come back to this earth and we will rule with Christ during that kingdom time. But again, we're not judged here. We've already been judged. These are people living on this earth who will be judged to see whether they can go into the kingdom. So these are those living the time of Christ's return. And what's the criteria for the judgment? Compassion. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Jesus twice talks about how the sheep fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty, took in strangers, clothed the naked, cared for the sick, and visited those in prison. While the goats saw those people in need and did nothing. So the sheep can say, I fed the hungry, and the goat says, whatever. That was their attitude. That was the criteria for the judgment. How compassionate were these people gathered before the judgment? The compassionate ones are the sheep. The ones who saw and did nothing are the goats. And so Jesus says this, and this is important. Who are the ones they show compassion to? Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I think it's key, not only what they did, but to whom they did it. The sheep fed and clothed and gave those who were thirsty water. They visited those who were in prison, cared for the sick. They did all that, but they did it for a specific group of people. The least of these brothers, sisters of Jesus. So who was that? Who are these people? Who are the least in this passage? Because of the time of this judgment, I think this is a very specific group of people. Looking at some other passages in Matthew, I think we find out who Jesus' family is. In fact, one day Jesus was teaching and his literal mother and his stepbrothers came to see him, or half-brothers, I should say, came to see him. And they were told, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus said to them, he replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who are the least in this passage? They are believers. They're disciples. They're followers of Christ. I believe here in this tribulation time, we think it's hard now to share the gospel. And we think it's hard now living in a country that seems to be anti-Christian more and more all the time. Can you imagine living as a believer in the tribulation during the time of the Antichrist? There are going to be people who are brave and courageous and follow the Lord and they live for him and they go and they share the gospel. And there will be people who believe. But in doing that, they are going to suffer. They're going to be imprisoned. They're going to find themselves without food and water. And they won't have a place to stay. And they won't, they won't have any clothes. And they're going to be in great need. 
And there are going to be other believers who see their need and are compassionate and meet that need. And so this passage, that's what Jesus is specifically referring to. Specifically, and it's very narrow, isn't it? Believers in the tribulation who are meeting the needs of other believers, especially those who are spreading the gospel. Now, before you hear me say this is for the future, we can throw it out. We don't need to worry about this passage at all. I want you to hear me say this. Although Jesus may be judging a specific people at a specific time and how they treated a specific group of people, still for us we can apply this and know that as those believers are to be compassionate to those in need in their time, we also are to be compassionate in our time, especially to other believers. And so who are the least of these? These are those who were ministers in the tribulation period, also believers in tribulation and need, believers today, and people in general today. And so we are called to be compassionate. And that makes sense because God himself is. Psalm 3510 says this, Lord, who is like you, rescuing the poor from one too strong for him, the poor or the needy from one who robs him. God is compassionate, shows great mercy to those who are in need. He commands us to do the same. Paul says in Galatians 9 and 10, let us not get tired of doing good, For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Do you see how they both go together? Paul says, do good works and do them for all, but especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When you are meeting the needs of people, don't you meet the needs of your immediate family first? Uh, To not meet their needs means we are not taking the responsibility God has given us seriously. We must meet the needs of our immediate family. So it's the same with believers. We meet believers' needs first, but it doesn't stop there. You don't just just take care of your family and say, well, everybody else can fend for themselves. And we don't just meet the needs of other Christians and say, well, anyone who's not a Christian, they can just worry about it themselves. No, we are compassionate to all, but especially those who are part of the family of God. We are called to be compassionate. But I also want to give you the balance Because sometimes I see too many churches, too many ministries, they talk about doing missions. And when they talk about doing missions, all they do is feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, take care of the sick, uh, visit those in prison, give clothes to those who need them. And you would say, well, they're doing exactly what Jesus said to do. I mean, how can you say anything wrong with that? But you notice what I said, that's all they do. And they don't share the gospel at the same time. You see, if all we do is meet the needs of those who are needy, but never tell them about Jesus, all we've done is made them more comfortable as they're on their way to hell. I mean, all we've done is extended their life on this earth before they go to hell. We haven't given them what they really need. 
which is the gospel, which is Jesus, which is to be saved. There needs to be a balance of both. You could also argue there's some people, all they do is preach the gospel. They take a Bible, beat people over the head. They could be hurting. They could need a place to live. And they say, I don't care. You need the gospel. And that's all they do. And so it's a balance. You need both. You can't just shout the gospel and ignore people's needs. But you also can't just meet their needs and ignore the gospel. It's always hard to have that balance in our personal lives. It's hard to have that balance as a church. It's hard to as a, a state convention, a Southern Baptist, or Christians in general. It's just hard. In some ways, it's easy to meet people's needs. You can raise money. You can, it's very tangible. You can see what you're doing. It's harder at times to have that boldness to, with that help, to also preach the gospel and meet their true needs. That's one reason why I loved our trip to Ghana, because it was a balance of both. If you remember, we as a church uh, had someone in our church go to Ghana, and we were there to help meet people's needs. Pastor Mustafa noticed in his area of Ghana that people were dying of malaria. And a simple way to solve that was to have mosquito nets. We went there to put mosquito nets in their homes, really just huts, but it worked since uh, our church and many other churches in Virginia and other places went to Ghana and put those nets in those homes. The deaths from malaria has gone down drastically. We met a real need. Later, someone from our church went and we dug wells. Well, we paid for wells to be dug. We didn't get the shovels out and dig them or use the machinery. But we did uh, pay money so that well diggers could be paid and they dug wells. So literally, there were people who were thirsty, and we gave them water, just like Jesus said. But you know the reason why Pastor Mustafa wanted to meet those needs? Was to plant churches. See, no group ever went over there and gave out mosquito nets who didn't also go to a village and preach and share the gospel. He would send a team first to give the mosquito nets. A team would follow later. And say, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we had the privilege of doing both. Some villages, we were the ones putting the nets. There would be a group after us who would come and proclaim the gospel. Other villages, we were the ones proclaiming the gospel. They'd already received the nets. Now they were hearing the good news. And the number of deaths in Ghana went down. And the number of churches went up. And so there, to me, was the perfect balance of good deeds, meeting needs... And sharing the gospel. Jesus had a perfect balance. Yes, he fed the 5,000, but he also told them about the kingdom and the good news of that and that he was the Messiah. Jesus wasn't just meeting needs. He was telling the truth. But he knew people wouldn't listen, couldn't, couldn't listen if their bellies were, were hungry. So Jesus had that perfect balance. We also must do that. Also, we learn from this passage the verdict of how the believers went into the kingdom with Christ and the unbelievers into an eternal punishment of fire. Just a side note, notice that that fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for people. But people do go there who reject Christ, reject the grace that he gives. And so the verdict's pretty severe. I do want to share this because it's, can be confusing. It seems like the sheep 
got into the kingdom because they did some good works. And the goats go to hell because they didn't do good works. But as we've already seen in the parables that preceded this, that the good works we do shows that we have a relationship with God. Good works don't save us, but everyone who's saved does good works. I don't know why that's hard for us to grasp at times when a verse like Ephesians tells us exactly this truth. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul makes it clear, God's grace, our faith, is what saves us. But he, and he makes it clear, it's not works you've done. You're not saved by the good works you've done. But then immediately after that, he says, you must do good works. And in fact, these good works, God has prepared them ahead of time for us to do. So salvation is by God. And in fact, the good works we do is all about God. So it's all about God. But there is, in this passage, the balance. Faith is how we're saved. Good works are the result of our salvation. And that's seen in the parables. It's seen in this story as well. The sheep didn't get to go into the kingdom just because they did the good works. They had faith in Christ. They were believers, and that's why they did the good works. Showing that they had a relationship with God and showing they were to go into the kingdom. In fact, if you notice in Matthew 25, Jesus even says to them, you have inherited the kingdom. They didn't earn the kingdom. It was given to them. You don't earn an inheritance, do you? It's given to you. This kingdom, they didn't earn by their good works. They inherited it. In fact, Jesus says, this kingdom has been prepared for you. Not just prepared in general, but it was prepared for these specific people before the foundation of the world. So they were prepared for that kingdom before they were even born or did one good work. So it's obvious that they were not in the kingdom because of the good works they did. They were in the kingdom because they received it by inheritance. It was prepared for them before they were even born. But the good works they did came out of the relationship they had with Jesus Christ. And this is the final truth we learn in this parable or this story, this passage. We often see how sin is doing something wrong. But sin is also not doing the good things that we know we are supposed to do. Isn't it pretty easy to make a list of things we're not supposed to do as Christians? There used to be a, an old silly saying, I, I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't go with women who do. I don't know if you ever heard that. I, I heard that back, way back when. But the idea is, you know, you can make a list. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. Christians like to make those kinds of lists. When I was growing up, the list was long, and even things that weren't in the Bible. If you don't do this, you don't, you know, don't play cards, you don't go to movies, there's all kinds of don'ts that we didn't do. But you know, there's another list of things we are commanded to do. 
to share our faith, to be compassionate, and a long list of other things of how we're to treat each other. When we see those commands and we don't do them, that's sin too. Did you notice the goats didn't see the needy and kick them while they were down? The goats didn't seek out the needy and put them in prison. No, the goats didn't hurt them, didn't actively pursue them to do them harm. The goats didn't do anything to those people. That was the whole point. They didn't do anything. So it wasn't like the sheep were nice to them and the goats were mean to them. The sheep were nice, but the goats just ignored them and did nothing. And so I challenge you to look at your life. Sometimes Christians are focused more on the don'ts and not on the do's. And when we ignore all the do's that we are supposed to do, we can, we can fool ourselves and think that we are good Christians because we don't do all these things. But in reality, we're not because there's a whole long list of things we're not doing that we should be doing. James says it simply this way. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Can't put it any simpler than that. So this morning as we sing, as we respond, look at your life. Are there things you must be doing, should be doing that you're not? Confess it. Get it right with God. Do you see yourself as a goat this morning? Someone who has no relationship with God, today is the day to believe. Are you a believer who has not been compassionate as you should be, as God has called us to be? Then repent of that and be the compassionate believer who serves a compassionate God. Or whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, however the Spirit has spoken to you, now is the time to say yes to Him. Lord Jesus we acknowledge that you are our judge and acknowledge, Lord, that standing before you in judgment, we have no answer, we have no excuse, we have nothing to say other than we believe and because of your grace and mercy, we have been saved. Father, first I pray for anyone here today who would say they don't have a relationship with you, God. They've never put their faith in you, Jesus. They could not stand before you. I pray that today they would believe. Lord, I pray for us who are believers. It's so easy to, be, uh, to have fatigue from being compassionate, and to see the hurt and the suffering and the need, and just see so much of it that we just feel like we can't do anything. God, I pray we would not try to meet the needs of the billions of people on this earth, but meet the needs of those who call us. To meet And the needs of those are right in front of our face. I'm reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan when the priest and the Levite, they see the need and they just walk right by. Lord, when you put those needs right in front of us, it's obvious you have put them there for us to help and to be compassionate and meet that person's need. I pray also, Lord, when we're meeting them, the gospel's right there with it. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the many blessings you give us, but the greatest blessing is the gift of salvation. How can we give a cup of water to someone and not give them the greatest gift? How can we give them food but not give them the greatest gift? So, Father, I pray that we would be diligent in doing both. There's so much I'm praying for, Lord, so much in this passage. 
Lord, I guess my last prayer is simply this, that you have spoken to your people and they will respond with a yes this morning. Jesus, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing and respond to the Lord. I'll be at the back to meet you if you have any need, if you want to make anything right with the Lord, want to join the church or anything like that. Let's sing. Let's respond.